Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Vasquez beat the way by Buffon, and then Ronaldo! Oh! What a goal! Cristiano Ronaldo! Messi to the near post! Messi to the net! Messi! Ronaldo Kielto now. Here's a hunter, and he'll whip it in back to the far post. Elise! It's a Honduran connection. This is Soccer Matters, brought to you by the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLaw.com. Here's Glenn Davis. All right, welcome into Soccer Matters here on the Horn in Austin, Texas, as always presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLawAustin.com, 512-865-6710, bilingual. Your humble host, Glenn Davis, here as we get into a number of things here tonight. Major League Soccer is only about 11, 10, 11 days away. It will open up. We will talk about Austin FC tonight on this show. Europa League updates. Plus, we will bring on Michael Lewis, who has a tremendous lens. Writer has written a number of books, including the book called Alive and Kicking, The Incredible But True Story of the Rochester Lancers. Uh, it's a great book if you want to get context in American soccer in this country and what it was like uh, back in the 70s, 80s uh, to where we are with Major League Soccer. And as somebody that played in the 80s, uh, it is remarkable where we are. Uh, this will be a very good interview. You'll look forward to this one. But right now, uh, we remind you, you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Glenn Davis Sock, glendavissoccer.com. Also to purchase Soccer Matters t-shirts and hats you go to lamontbrands.com, all the proceeds to the 501c charity, the Snowdrop Foundation. All right, let's start today with Europa League. Uh, a number of things going on in Europa League here today, including uh, Manchester United at Barcelona. Now, what I will tell you about this is this hurt to watch this game today. Why, you might say. Because Monday I was supposed to leave to Spain on a nine-day trip. I had a great itinerary. I was credentialed. For some of the games, I had the Real Madrid-Elche game of yesterday, which Real Madrid won 4-0. Uh, I was then to take the train up to Barcelona, check into a hotel, and go to uh, today's Barcelona hosting of Manchester United in the Europa League, and then taking another uh, La Liga game on Sunday with Barcelona hosting Cadiz. Uh, it all didn't happen because basically I got sick. Um, so I'm beginning to recover now, but let me tell you, this was a hard game to watch, not being at it because it was an exciting and entertaining game from a purist standpoint. If you're a coach, you're not going to be very happy about this game because this was a game where individual errors were the norm, not taking advantage of individual errors were the norm as well. So 19 minutes in Jordi Alba is getting forward a lot for Barcelona. They seem to be. Uh, pushing the game a little bit more. Um, his delivery not hitting the best of areas. Gavi had a side volley. Um, you know, United looked a little bit 
flustered at the back. They went back to Eric Ten Hag, went back to Luke Shaw and Veron as the two center backs. So then Malasia comes in at the left back position, Juan Basaka at the right, Casemiro, uh, much needed in midfield along Fred. Fred had an up and down game. Jaden Sancho, up and down. Bruno, uh, the man of the hour was Marcus, Re- Marcus Rashford. He continues to be what is maybe the hottest striker in Europe. And then Veghorst up front. Barcelona had Ter Stegen in goal. Alba got the start, as mentioned. Marcos Alonso, Araujo, Koundé, Kessi de Jong, Pedri in midfield, Gavi, Lewandowski, and Rafinha up front. Rafinha played a part in two goals, one in a good way, one in a bad way. But there are two changes uh, taken out uh, Christensen and Balde replaced by Alonso and Alba. Uh, Okay, so both teams, like I said, a lot of mistakes out of the back in this one. Bad decisions, bad distribution, neither team punishing those types of mistakes. First half ends, 58% of the possession in this one for Barcelona. They were the better team, certainly in the first 20, 25 minutes. Um, But again, two teams that fail to punish mistakes. It was an end-to-end game. Um, Barcelona is obviously a more vertical team under Xavi now. It's not the same uh, legendary Barcelona team, I don't think. Um, 50th minute, the breakthrough comes, and Barcelona get the goal. Marcus Alonso, who got the start, the former Chelsea man, at the back post, Fred completely loses him off a corner. And... uh, up jumps Marcus Alonso and he heads Barcelona into the league. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that that teams of this stature just sometimes get it wrong when it comes to individual matchups on set pieces and corners. This was a poor matchup and Fred got taken advantage of. But it only takes two minutes and Marcus Rashford ties it up 1-1. Maybe the hottest striker in Europe, 22nd goal of the year for him. Barca had a high line throughout the game. Uh, Rashford threatened that many, many times. This time he gets put in on the end line. And Ter Stegen, I'm sorry, this is savable. He's beaten at the near post, should never be beaten there. It's a bad goal to concede. It's now 1-1. Rafinha had a few chances. Uh, Again, the mistakes keep coming. It's up and down. So from a standpoint of a spectator, mistakes make games interesting, right? That's how it becomes entertaining. 59th minute, Marcus Rashford. Short corner. It's basically a two-on-one. Rafinha's out there to defend the corner. What should he do? He should defend the end line. He doesn't. Rashford skins him on the end line. Is now racing towards goal along the end line, off the short corner. Whips it into the box. It's an own goal. And it's poor defending from Rafinha. And it's now 2-1 to Manchester United. Their crowd in the upper echelon of Newcomb are going nuts at this point. And United are looking dangerous pretty consistently at this point with the high line and with the fact now that Barcelona is chasing the game. 64th minute, Marcus Rashford getting in on a breakaway. Goes down rather easily, wants a penalty, isn't going to get it. Um, This second United goal, though, is so key because Barcelona is beginning to take more risk now. And Rashford is consistently looking like a threat deep in behind uh, Barcelona, who's getting caught. pretty high up the field here trying to find an equalizer. Um, so he is stretching Barcelona in a big way, and it's surprising to me that he didn't score another goal. It'll get tied up 2-2. 
Casemiro, of all people, a bad giveaway. Now, this is a mistake that is punished. This one's punished. Um, it goes out wide to Rafinha, who whips in hard-driven ball. And Lewandowski is making a really, really good run to get in front of defenders. And it goes into the side netting. At first, it looks like Lewandowski got a touch to it. He didn't. But the main thing is here is that he made that run. Rafinha gets the goal. It wasn't touched by Lewandowski. But if he doesn't make this run uh, and divert attention and draw players into a certain area and create this kind of confusion off this movement in the box, you don't get that goal. Uh, Ansu Fati and Garnacho came on as attacking options for both teams. Fati came close. David De Gea made some very good saves. Ferran Torres came on as well. Um, Rafinha, when he got subbed out, man, he was absolutely livid. And I, I almost thought it was going to be something really bad. His, his anger exploding uh, with Xavi and the way he slapped him five and kind of carried on on the bench was not a very, very good thing. Uh, scene to see 87th minute Barcelona there's a big scramble off a free kick ball goes off the post you can't tell who it went off you look at the replay and you see it was friendly fire it came off a of Casemiro who was trying to clear it um, moments later De Gea making a huge save on Fati kind of a self-defense type save it was bending in parries it away 88th Rashford uh, gets a ball in a really good area and then makes what is the calming decision that really was now lacking in this game at that point for United slowed the game down, uh, kept possession, allowed United to get up the field, get a breather. Um, so wise decision-making from Rashford on the ball and just remind you how important little decisions are when it comes to football matches and winning them at the end. It's a two, two draw prediction here is going to be pretty easy for me. I do believe that Manchester United with a second leg at Old Trafford, will knock Barcelona out. And this is uh, a day of great entertainment, though. Nobody's ever going to say this was not an entertaining game uh, by by any means. This was a very entertaining match. And, of course, yesterday it was 3-1 to one in the Premier League. Uh, Pep Guardiola over Mikel Arteta, 3-1, to one, as Manchester City now sit at the top of the table. Good news for Arsenal, though. They have one game in hand. A lot of good jerseys put out by Adidas. There's some really interesting ones. A um, lot of mixed reviews from the Austin FC one. Somebody said it looks like a piano. A uh, lot of stripes. Certainly love the Verde in black. Um, I'm okay with it. I like it. Hey, if you win in it, that's all that counts. And then, of course, there's a lot of really interesting different ones. I, I like Cincinnati's. I like New England's. New England's has... Uh, a cleanliness to it. They've always had kind of a boring Jersey to me, but I really like new England's uh, Jersey as well. Um, but there are some really cool ones when you get a chance to go through the new MLS uh, uniforms. We'll take a break here. Uh, when we come back, it's Austin FC talk here on the horn in Austin, Texas. This show presented by John Daspit, daspitlawaustin.com, 512-865-6710. Uh, if you get in any kind of an accident, look, it's nervous time. It's it's uncomfortable. Uh, you need a good personal injury attorney, one that's going to fight for your right for compensation, one that's going to work for you 24-7. It is John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. It's DaspitLawAustin.com, bilingual at 512-865-6710. Verde Talk, when we come back on the horn in Austin, Texas, this is Soccer Matters, presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, welcome back to Soccer Matters here on the Horn in Austin, Texas. Uh, hope you're enjoying the show so far here. DaspitLawAustin.com is our presenting sponsor. John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. John and his firm, personal injury attorneys. You give them a call at 512-865-6710. By the way, they're bilingual. Nobody wants to get in any type of an accident, but if you do, uh, John and his firm, they're there to represent you. You want the best, and you want somebody who's going to fight for your right for compensation. DaspitLawAustin.com, big supporters of the game of soccer, and they help get this show on the horn here in Austin, Texas, your soccer station. All right, uh, Sebastian Driussi, how about a new contract? Got to love that. Goes through 2025. Last year, the runner-up to Hani Mukhtar for the MVP. For me, Sebastian Driussi was the MVP of the league. Um, The way these things are determined sometimes – don't make sense. Both these players had exceptional seasons, uh, and and maybe it's because I watched Driussi more. But I, I would have given it to Sebastian Driussi from this standpoint alone that this was a man that contributed to his team in all thirds of the field, and we'll get a little bit more into that in a minute. Uh, but anyway, runner up to a very good player in Hani Mukhtar of Nashville. So Driussi now is the centerpiece of this club. He's the fulcrum. He's the investment. The signing comes at a great time. It brings a real positive vibe with the whole Claudio Reyna situation, which to me is still, that was just head shaking what happened during the World Cup uh, with Claudio Reyna and his wife. Uh, stunning. Um, look, Triussi had attention from the Premier League. This is what we were told. Uh, River Plate, obviously, his former club, was interested in trying to bring him back. Uh, and a lot of clubs obviously had to be interested in this player. Just so much fun to watch at Q2 Stadium. Um, but the, the varying elements that he brings to the game, to me, are just, uh, I mean, this is an all-action, all-around, multi-dimensional soccer player. And there are few like him in the league. Few like him in the league. That can do so many different things that can morph into to a defender in your defending third, that can be a playmaker in the middle third, that does the defensive work when the ball's lost without the ball. And then, of course, in the final third is a playmaker, but also can, can even look like a traditional number nine attacking delivery. Uh, I mean, there's just so many elements to, the, to his game. And, you know, we often talk about sports and what attracts us. Singular players can attract us to wanting to watch games. And don't get me wrong, Austin FC's put together a wonderful roster, uh, a lot of other very intriguing players, but he is the centerpiece and he is the focal point, and your eyes get drawn to him. Uh, I don't think there's any question. Here's what Sebastian Driussi was quoted uh, saying about signing this new deal. Quote, with my family, we decided to stay here. 
River is always watching what's going to happen with my contract because they always want me at the club. I chose to stay in Austin because I feel really good. My family is very happy and I feel comfortable here. For a player, it's about being happy in the place you are today. And the truth is, that's the way I feel now. Now, that was Sebastian Driussi. I go back to this part here. I feel really good. My family is very happy and I feel comfortable here. So that's a definite stretch to lifestyle, security. That might be a little different in places like Zenit St. Petersburg or River Plate in Argentina. Comfort for a family is important. Now, would his mind have changed if this was not a unified team put together by a coach and a coaching staff and an organization that allowed him to thrive last year and have a great season and extolled all the best qualities that he has? If this was a losing season last year, would it still be the place I feel really good and my family is very happy and comfortable? Probably would be from the lifestyle standpoint. But you have to package everything in. And if this guy is made to be the piece that he is in this team, and this team is set up to help him succeed, and obviously with his talents he is, and there's everybody pulling the, the oars uh, in the rowboat in the same direction. This also is about how he's happy. Uh, because I can assure you that a player of this quality, his happiness on the field is equally as important as his happiness off the field. Uh, I don't think there's any any question. So there you go. Sebastian Driussi, what a piece. Plays in all thirds of the field, multi-dimensional, defends, He's a league star now. He's a national star in this country. Brings a lot of attention to Major League Soccer, certainly in Argentina. But he was the league MVP for me. Now, he has a variety in the use of three strikers that he'll want to combine with, along with the likes of Diego Fagundes and Rigoni and wide players as well. But let's talk about the new signing of Jazzy Zardes. Josh Wolf, very familiar certainly knows the system, certainly knows to, what to do when the ball's lost, uh, can play back to goal, and also can be a threat over the top, probably the best over the, the, the top threat for, for Austin FC. My, some might say Maxi Arruti as well, but certainly he's got some qualities here, and hopefully in preseason these people are understanding each other when it comes to Driussi and Zardes. Uh, Maxi Arruti, again, Understands the system, pressing type forward, a lot of movement, a lot of mobility, uh, probably comes out of the middle wide a little bit more than Jazzy Zardes. But again, key player. Started off excellent last year. I did say on this show that he'd get around 10 goals. That's where he ended up, 10-goal uh, score. I think faded at the end of the year a little bit more, and I – I think if he wasn't fading at the end of the year, who knows what would have happened with Austin FC. They might have gotten to the MLS Cup final. So Maxi Arruti's one to keep on, getting a full season out of him. Will Brune, you've just signed a player now that has scored a lot of goals in Major League Soccer. Um, 
So you got three strikers, Jazzy Zordis, Maxi Rudy, and Will Bruin. The fascinating thing to me is how is Josh Wolf going to use these players? Um, who's going to be better coming off the bench? Who's going to get starts? Will there be a lot of variety and, and differences in what center forward slash number nine striker who plays central gets to start for you? Zardis, Brun, or Rudy. Some of their qualities may fit opponents better. Somebody's going to emerge having a better relationship with Sebastian Driussi, you would think. Uh, but all good players around the box, and that variety and the way Josh Wolf is going to use these th three strikers, I think is going to be interesting. I mean, some of it's obviously going to come down to form, but they do have subtle differing qualities amongst them, and they have similar qualities also. That is really one to keep an eye on. I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch. So Will Bruin is signed, and that's a good one uh, for Austin FC. Now, uh, February 18th at Inter-Miami, this coming weekend, what are we, 10 or 11 days away from the opening game, home opener against St. Louis. You get an expansion team. Q2 is going to be rocking for that. It's going to be super exciting. Then you get Montreal at home, or Montreal. On the 4th, March 7th, you go to Haiti to play Violet or Violet. And then March 11th, you, you do your first road game at Salt Lake City. And look, there is a healthy pressure on this team now to repeat. Bar's been set high in year two. Great turnaround. Set in place some principles in year one. Year two took it to another level. The healthy pressure is there. It's a beautiful thing. Josh Wolf, his staff, the club has to love healthy pressure. It's how you grow the game. It's how you grow debate. That's how you take it to the next level. You don't take it to the next level from a media standpoint by regurgitating press releases and having a whole soccer community from a media standpoint that just regurgitates press releases. Yeah, you want some of that, of course. But that's why you have a website. That's why you have social media as a club you want those on the outside whether it's the austin chronicle um striker any of these outlets austin statesman podcasts you want you want healthy debate being brought to the table you don't want people doing podcasts and writing articles just to make sure they get their credential you want people going out on a limb a little bit that's exciting to me. Cristo Vela. I don't know if you know who he is. You may now. You may have also seen this. He is signed for Austin FC. He comes on loan from Cancun FC. He's 18 years old. He's Carlos Vela's nephew. I find that pretty interesting. Carlos Vela's nephew. Coming to Austin FC. Pretty cool. Question is how good of a player he is. We'll find out. Certainly has the name. And with the name, you bring expectation. All right, we're going to take a break. Before we go to break here, here's a little news and notes. Thierry Henry hinting at potentially being the U.S. men's national team coach. He's been an assistant to Roberto Martinez with Belgium. You remember him in Montreal. He did not go with Martinez to Portugal. 
Belgium was a nightmare in the last World Cup. They certainly weren't a together bunch. Uh, it's pretty amazing how quickly Roberto Martinez has secured a job with Portugal, but he has. So there you go. Now, whoever becomes the next U.S. men's national team coach, barring disaster in the run-up in some of the major competitions like Gold Cup and Copa America, you know, you're assured you're going to be a World Cup manager because you don't have to go through the qualification process. So that in itself is pretty interesting. So we'll see where Thierry Henry uh, ends up. I don't see him as wanting to be a guy who's going to make a career full-time out of media. I see him as a guy that wants to be back in the mix, back on the field. And, of course, we had all those years we watched him at Arsenal. Um, just unbelievable. In fact, I remember calling Serie A games back in the day when he was at Juventus. And he was only 19 years of age. What a player. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Horn in Austin, Texas. Uh, Soccer Matters. Brought to you by John Daspit. DaspitLawAustin.com. 512-865-6710. 512-865-6710. They're bilingual. Look, if you're out there and you're hearing this, um, it's a great sponsor. It's getting soccer on the airwaves. Um, it is a company and a firm that'll work for you 24 seven nights and weekends, whether you get in a car accident, motorcycle, you might drive an 18 wheeler. Um, you might work in a plant refinery. You need the Daspit law firm, daspitlawaustin.com. John and his firm committed to getting you the compensation that you deserve. And nobody wants to have to use a personal injury attorney. Fact is you need representation. It is daspitlawaustin.com. On another note, we made a donation of $2,500 to the Snowdrop Foundation in Houston for pediatric cancer awareness, scholarships for those that have had pediatric cancer. Snowdrop Foundation is a 501c charity. For everybody that bought a T-shirt in Austin, thank you so much. We do have two shades of green, one kind of a mint, the other kind of a lime. So if you want to get that Soccer Matters shirt and wear it proudly, in green, we would love for you to do that. There's other colors as well. Plus, we just put out a trucker hat in black and white. It's very cool. Um, those are available also. And again, the proceeds go to the Snowdrop Foundation, a 501c charity. And um, the mantra and the mission of supporting pediatric cancer awareness, fundraising, and supporting those who are going through those challenges, not only the patients, but the families. Um, I think we're all pretty fortunate to avoid that sort of a situation. So we want to be there for those and do our little part. So that's it. We'll take a break here. We'll come back. Uh, we will go to the great author. I call him a gateway uh, protector of the history of American soccer. He is Michael Lewis. He's coming up. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Next. All right, welcome back to Soccer Matters here on the Horn in Austin, Texas. Uh, 
Remember, uh, as always, this show is presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. It's DaspitLawAustin.com. Now, look, if you get in a car accident, boat, motorcycle, maybe you drive an 18-wheeler, it doesn't matter. You're going to need representation. Uh, These are nervy times. John Daspit, Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLawAustin.com. They're going to take your case. They'll represent you 24-7 nights and weekends. You can also give them a call at 512-865-6710. That's 512-865-6710. And they are bilingual. But as always, we thank John and his firm for getting soccer on the airwaves. And it allows me to do interviews like this one. He is Michael Lewis. He's got a lens that goes way, way back in the game of soccer, has written numerous books, um, has covered eight World Cups, 22 MLS Cups, seven Olympics. Uh, it is a remarkable career. It's an interview I've been wanting to do. We're going to do it right now. Michael, thank you very much for coming on the show. Hey, Glenn, it's great to be on. Thank you for having me on. Well, 12 to 15 minutes isn't going to justify Michael Lewis, but we're going to dip into a bunch of things here. And I I first want to just start off with simply your lens, looking at the game, the coverage of it now, and how maybe it's changed for you as a writer and journalist. Wow. Uh, Can you give me an hour? (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm not saying I'm old or I've been covering this for a long time. I started covering soccer back in the Stone Age in 1975, and we used typewriters at the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. Computers were just something we wished for. Uh, saying that, North American Soccer League, a uh, league trying to struggle to survive more than anything else. Um, we all thought, I think a lot of us, when I say us, I mean team owners, players, officials, And media thought soccer was the next big thing in this country, or at least something that was going to be big. Unfortunately, the league goes under. Indoor soccer takes over for a number of years. U.S. uh, qualifies for the World Cup, gets the World Cup, um, and then Major League Soccer is born. And if you would have told me way back in 1975, soccer would be like this today, MLS looking toward a 30th the franchise um lower division leagues usl uh nisa i'm probably missing a few others i apologize that we have this incredible system out there it's not perfect but to see how soccer has grown professionally in this country it's amazing uh i would never have predicted this after the demise of the north american soccer league i thought okay this is it uh, for soccer as we know it. Maybe it'll be here, but it won't be very, very strong. So many things had to go right uh, at the men's level. The, uh, the the fact that we had a women's national team, I think, helped propel things as well, too, being so successful in the Olympics and at the Women's World Cup. And it's all come together. Like I said, it's not perfect. There have been many bumps in the road, but wow, um, this is incredible. Can't keep up with things. In the States and internationally, too. We have so many players playing in Europe, too. Um, That's my uh, Reader's Digest uh, answer. (laughs) That was a good answer. Michael Lewis is joining us. He's at Soccer Writer on Twitter. Also, he's got an amazing website, FrontRowSoccer.com. You can get his book, Alive and Kicking, The Incredible But True Story of the Rochester Lancers at Amazon 
com, and we're going to talk about that in a minute but i want to i just want to continue on because you know i i think doing this interview for me was with you was about context because we have so many new fans to major league soccer who don't know this history uh, who don't know how difficult it was for leagues to survive and 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 failing leagues and teams reemerging and and just the way soccer fought its way to the top here now do you consider yourself cuz i do a little bit of a gatekeeper through your writings for the history of soccer in this country at the professional level uh that's an interesting way to put it and you know now that you say it yes i think it's important to to understand history uh i'm a history geek um, I did well in history classes, social study classes, whatever. Love to read about it. Love to read about way back call to the Revolutionary War or George Washington, Benedict Arnold, that sort of thing. Um, and it helps put things into perspective. You don't want to make the same mistakes as our forefather, forefathers did. Um, and just maybe the entertainment of it as well. Bringing that into sports, um, I've read a ton of biographies and histories of teams beyond soccer. Um, and I've always learned something. And it's important not to forget the past, where we came from. And getting into soccer, and which is, I think, a reason why I wanted to write the uh, Lancers book, was that, first of all, they had a lot of zany adventures, in, in, intriguing personalities, crazy personalities. But to let people know, it wasn't always like this. It wasn't as always as structured as Major League Soccer. Um, back in the day, there was the Cosmos. No doubt they were the diamond of U.S. soccer. But there were more franchises in the North American Soccer League and the American Soccer League that were maybe more like the Lancers. I can't say they were all like the Lancers because the Lancers were unique, the Rochester Lancers. But I think it's important. For us to um, understand history, um, read about it, and I'm hoping, I hope there are other crazy writers like me out there who are willing to write about other NASL teams from the past. There are some great stories that I've seen in newspapers on the internet, and even MLS teams, maybe especially in the early days. MLS was a struggle at, uh, way back then. The league almost went out of business after the 20, uh, 2001 season. And I, I think, you know, you've got some great histories uh, of teams out there, such as D.C. United. Uh, they great personalities on that team. Bruce Arena, John Harks, Jaime Moreno, Marco Echeverri, among others, um, that I think would make an intriguing book. And I, I, it's more than just the Internet. I think we have to remember that. So, um, again, my, that's maybe a longer answer than I planned. <laughs> He's Michael Lewis at Soccer Writer. Uh, we're going to get into the Rochester Lancers, but um, the North American Soccer League, you know, you just mentioned, and, and look, the Lancers were around, I, I guess they were founded in 1967. They just kept reforming at differing levels. Um, soccer got kept alive in Rochester by people. They have to be commended for that. But, but to your point, you know, everybody was looking at, and I remember this distinctively, um, you know, the New York Cosmos owned by Warner brothers had real money behind them. You'd go to games at the Meadowlands. You'd see Mick Jagger, Robert Plant, uh, limos would come in from Manhattan. 
then you'd have Tampa Bay was kicking it, uh, you know, soccer. Uh, the great moniker is a kick in the grass in Tampa, Florida. They were getting big crowds. Minnesota was getting big crowds. But that wasn't what the league really was about. It was more about, and I say this respectfully, sort of mom and pop operations like the Rochester Lancers. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yes, uh, I'll give you an example again with the Rochester Lancers. Primary owners, um, Charlie Sciano and Pat Dinolfo, uh attorneys. Uh, they were doing well. Their practices were doing well. They didn't invest in the in the game to get rich. Nothing against that. But they wanted to see the sport grow, the team grow in, in Rochester and have the team respected by the city and have soccer grow. Um, this is I, maybe teams and fans can't fathom this today, but the Lancers owners had barbecues at their house for the teams on a regular basis. It wasn't just, oh, let's have our annual barbecue at the Donalfos or Shianos. It was several um, times a year. They had the team had parties together, the players. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Charlie Shiano's wife. Aggie, unfortunately, she passed away uh, this past summer. She baked cookies and brought them to the games uh, for Lancer officials and maybe a couple of our media people uh, to have as well, too, during the games. It, the, there's something to be said about these, quote unquote, mom and pop organizations. There was a lot of heart in it, a lot of heart and soul. Um, and. I understand MLS, you need the big bucks these days in professional sports. You need not millionaires, but billionaires. But, man, I'd, I'd love to see some of that heart and soul in some of these teams today. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we see enough of it, or maybe they don't publicize it enough. Talking to soccer writer uh, Michael Lewis, and I, I thought you brought, brought up a great point right there because there were owners back in those days, they weren't in it. To, to your point, to make a profit. I played on teams like that too, where, you know, here in Houston, two men, John Gawne and Pete came had a team called the dynamos plural. And, you know, these guys were very successful. Uh, one in the oil industry, the other in telecommunications and they loved the game. And one guy was an Englishman and the other guy was an American guy who grew up on the East coast. Huh. Both were successful. Both loved the game. And we're in it to try and grow the sport around the city um, through playing in a league called the USL, but also through getting their players out to, to coach, do clinics, get out in the public. So, you know, these are some of the unsung heroes that that nobody really knows about because, you know, these people have to be commended and, and to get to a point where, for instance, in this market in Austin, you're selling games out. It's an incredible stadium. The game day experience is incredible. The player salaries, all the other things that come into the game are different. So I would say to you, when you look at clubs today in Major League Soccer, can you brand them either commercial or or competitive or a combination of both, right? Because I think some teams will will look at in the league and will just say, yeah, they're here primarily for the commercial side of it. Others do both. Others maybe lean a little too too much on the competitive side and, and, and aren't doing as well on the business side. Are you referring to a certain team in New Jersey called the I did not Red Bulls? I grew up in New Jersey. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Garden State guy, but now a Texas guy. 
I understand. Uh, yeah, I think there's a combination of both there. Um, I, I, you know, when the Red Bulls took over, and I can't believe I'm saying this 17 years ago. Um, unbelievable. And I know that was a breakthrough event because it was the first time they had a, a foreign concern owning an, an MLS team. I really thought they were going to propel the team really, you know, into another orbit. And to a certain extent, they did. They did bring in some big players, Jerry Henry, Rafa Marquez. But it seems like they're on a, um, a different level now. They maybe don't want to spend as much or can't spend as much. Um, but uh, I want to see the teams be as competitive as possible. I don't want to see them go out of business. I don't want to see them running up debts like we hear about in maybe Real Madrid or Barcelona or that sort of thing. Um, but I'd like to see the league continue to open up the salary caps through different loopholes and whatnot to bring in uh, better players because I want to see the best players possible playing in this country, whether it's American players. Yes, I'd like to see some more American players. Um, I have nothing against, by the way, nothing against foreign players, but when teams are deploying two or three North American players in their starting lineups and, and it, the rest are from overseas and it looks like a, a team from England or or the Bundesliga, um, I'm thinking, hmm, are the U.S. players getting the right development, the top U.S. players in this country who decided to stay here? Um, I hope that comes out right on my part. Again, I, uh, I just like to see the best possible soccer happening. He's Michael Lewis at Soccer Writer on Twitter. Uh, he's also penned articles for The Guardian. Uh, he's got a book, and I highly suggest that if you want to get a taste of, 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 of what it was like in the North American Soccer League and the challenges of running franchises back then, the name of the book is Alive and Kicking, the incredible but true story of the Rochester Lancers. This is really in detail. It's got a lot of names that people from the North American Soccer League would remember. Don Popovich, Mike Stojanovic, Bronco Shigoda. Shigoda was a great player. Um, rest in peace, Jim Pollahan, uh, who recently passed. Jack Brand, uh, Joe Horvath. On and on we can go with tremendous amount of names, and I'm missing a ton of them. But if you want context of what it was like kind of non-cosmos in the North American Soccer League and back towards running franchises that were a little bit more, and I say again, this respectfully, mom and pop, this is the book for you. It's Alive and Kicking, the incredible but true story of the Rochester Lancers. You can get it on Amazon.com. Uh, um, who was one of your favorite characters on the Rochester Lancers over all your years? I know that's going to be hard to pick one, but, but I... pick one and tell us about them. Um, and that would have to be Mike Stojanovic. You just mentioned him, um, a character and a half. Unfortunately, he passed away from stomach cancer in 2010. Um, it's funny. Uh, he smoked like a chimney after games. He was also one of the fastest players on the field, a striker. Um, he scored, what, 17 goals in his first year with the team, finished third in scoring, I think, beyond, behind um, Giorgio Canaglia. On a team that uh, had an okay midfield, they were nowhere near the Cosmos quality. But Stojanovic was a character. Every year he would want to be say he'd say, "I want to be traded. This is my last year in Rochester." As a reporter, I've got to write it because you never know. The last year, and every year he came back. 
Um, but a hell of a player. Um, he could he ran like the wind, and he could probably run through a wall. That's how strong he was. Uh, if he was knocked down, he would get right back up. He wouldn't, you know, roll in pain or anything like that, trying to get a yellow card for the opposition. If he was down, you know that he was down for the count. Um, anyway, the last year, 1980, he says, hey, listen, I want to return to the team next year. Well, guess what? The team folds after 1980. We'll talk about irony. A great quote after the games, which doesn't hurt. Um, that doesn't uh, make me appreciate him any more, any less as a player, but definitely a character. Um as it turned out, I was in Toronto in November 2010 when Michael, when Mike passed away, and he was living in Toronto. And I got a chance to go to his wake and meet some of people from the Serbian community there at the wake and find out more about him, about Mike. And um, uh, it was just being at the right place at the right time there. But um, a great player. Uh, I think he wound up like either eighth or ninth on the all-time NASL scoring list, but um, had an ego and a half, probably not unlike Canalia, but since Canalia had the entire package, Mike didn't have maybe the entire package like uh, Giorgio had, but did not get as much publicity, but still um, a great player and a zany character. Recount a visit, Michael, um, when the Cosmos Palais Canalia came to Hollander Stadium. Just just give us a couple sentences on that before we wrap it up. Big deal uh, for, for Rochester, uh, biggest crowds. When uh, they played in the 1977 championship oh, semifinals, they got 20,005 people into, jammed 20,005 people into Hollander Stadium. Um, uh, I for what I heard later on, there might have been more people, but the Lancers didn't want to announce it because of fire uh, restrictions, that sort of thing. Uh, Pelé was at the end of his career, but there was something special about him. Um, got a chance to see him score his first goal in 1975 and talk to him afterwards as well, too. His first official NASO goal, I should say, for a, a 20, what was I, 23 years old at the time. That was a big deal for me talking to the greatest soccer player on the planet and uh, uh, something I'll never forget. And I have a few more stories, but I know uh, <laughs> we only have a certain amount of time. You, you met with Pelé on a number of occasions. And of course uh, we lost the great one uh, recently. This is the last one. And, and, and we got about a minute here for your response, but you know, we see the way the game's being covered. Now we, we, we go on the internet, we get these long articles. There's all these attachments, tons and tons of data and you almost get to the point like this is an article that's never going to end. And you kind of wonder what's in the mind of the author of it, because it's just so much information thrown at people. How do you feel about that style now? Are you talking about one of my stories? Uh, seriously, though, um, they're good and bad about it. Um, I think I like a long story when it's a good feature story, when you dwell into a player's background or a, a coach's background. Um, because like I said, that's like reading a mini, I guess, a mini book online. Um, when you're talking tactics, I can all, I, listen, I'm not the last word in tactics, but I understand it. And there's just a limit of how much I can take. And, and this is enough because I know on the field, well, the players, especially in written form, 
with the amount of data that's thrown at you. And I understand data is interesting. I like it. It's a big part of the game now. But, you know, some of these articles you just can't even get through. They never. Well, yeah, I don't want to hear about he or she touched the ball um, in the center circle three times or something like that. To me, what did they do with the ball after they got it? You might limit a player to a couple of chances, but if they put it away, that's the bottom line. I know that's old fashioned. And trust me, in my early days, I relied on whatever meager stats there were in soccer, but sometimes it's maybe too much for the casual fan. I think it might, might be important for coaches for obvious reason, and maybe the fans that are really into it. But boy, sometimes it's like, where do you start? And yep. where, like you said, where, where, when do you finish? He's Michael Lewis. Michael, you're a true gem of the sport in this country. You are definitely a gatekeeper, in my opinion. So I'm going to give you that label of, of the history of the game here. You've seen so much uh, through your lens. I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's at Soccer Writer on Twitter. Get to his website, frontrowsoccer.com. And, of course, you can order the book Alive and Kicking at Amazon.com. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Listen, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed myself. All right. That's Michael Lewis. That's how we end it tonight here on the Horn in Austin, Texas. Show is always brought to you by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLawAustin.com. They're bilingual at 512-865-6710, 512-865-6710. Big thank you to DaspitLawAustin.com. Our guest, Michael Lewis, and all of you for tuning in tonight. Remember, you get the podcast of this show at hornfm.com. Twitter and Instagram, at Glenn Davis Sock, at Soccer Matters GD. Until next week, remember, soccer matters.